You're listening to the Evolving Truths Podcast, featuring mother-daughter hosts, Shannon Day and Alexis Ray, where honest and vulnerable conversations about personal growth create a connection between all of us. You're invited to experience the transformation that occurs when we allow the truth of who we are to evolve. Hello, you beautiful heart and soul. My name is Alexis Ray. This is Evolving Truths. And with me, as always, is my mama, Shannon Day. What's up, mom? Oh, I was totally waiting for you to sing. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Life is good. I'm excited we're recording today. I'm super excited for this conversation. I know. Last week, recording with Nicole, that episode was super emotional. I spent a lot of time after it reflecting on so many things that she said. I have notes when she talked about it might never go away, the health anxiety and the exhaustion of dealing with the diagnosis, figuring out what you have to do to deal with the diagnosis, and then actually doing the therapies and everything. Like all of that hit for me and resonated so deeply that even though her and I are dealing with different things, it made me feel less alone. So it was emotional and I'm grateful to be inviting her back today to be able to talk about this next step of how do we keep living despite our challenges with our health. You said those things about living with cancer, health anxiety, and it being exhausting. When we had that conversation with her, I specifically remember writing those three things down as well. I think I relate to them through you and supporting you and what you're dealing with and Hopefully others in the Evolving Truths community, whether you're dealing with something like this or maybe another loss in life, I just feel like those were such key things and she stated them so beautifully. Yeah. I mean, it's applicable to so many different things. That conversation with her was so good. And Nicole, thanks for coming back. Yeah. I was going to say blessing us with your time again, but that word and I have a really hard time. So I wanted to say. Nicole, thank you for honoring us with your time again this week. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for making the space. I'm honored to be here. Do you want to give us the rundown on Nicole one more time? If you haven't listened to part one of this conversation, go back, have Kleenex next to you, and then pick back up with this, by the way. Yeah, you might need it, but... Nicole is a multifaceted creative. One of the things I love about her is how she focuses on expressing the story of a moment through photography, writing, design, letter, or whatever medium she's exploring at the moment. She works for a nonprofit organization. And when she was with us last week, she shared her story of at 23, losing her father to dementia, and then a year later being diagnosed with thyroid cancer. We talked quite a bit about her experience with the cancer, and now she has joined the board of directors for Thigh to Bono, a nonprofit dedicated to providing resources, motivation, and support to thyroid cancer survivors. We wanted to have Nicole come back so we could talk about living with this and what life looks like now. Nicole, what do you do for fun? (laughs) Let's dive right into fun. I love that. Well, as Shannon mentioned, I really love being creative. So that's taken a lot of different forms over the years. I 
went to school in Montana for photography. So that's continued to be a big part of my life. But I've also been exploring other things like writing has been really big for me in the last couple of years, just kind of trying to make sense of all this as I feel like I'm coming out the other side and can have some distance to look back at what I've been through. And in the beginning of the pandemic, I got really into lettering. So, you know, writing words and quotes and alphabets on my iPad. And that's something that I've had a lot of fun doing over time. I've always been interested in graphic design. This year I started doing, or last year, I guess, 2022, I started doing bullet journaling. So lots of ways to be creative. It's such a good outlet for me just to you know, be with myself, let my mind run and kind of think things through and put that out on on paper or some digital format. I also love being outside. That's been a really important part of my journey and like healing for me whenever I need some space to think things through. The first place I go is outside. Nature. Yeah. Yeah. Nature is so powerful. Did you say bullet journaling? Yeah. Tell us more about that. (laughs) It sounds a little aggressive, I guess, if you you don't have the context. But instead of lined pages, it's a grid of dots, so bullets. So it's really something that you can make into whatever you want to. And there's just very basic structure. So you can draw grids or boxes or lists or different things. So I am always doing something different with mine. That sounds cool. Like graph paper without the lines. Yeah. like that cross points would be is a dot. Yes. Yeah, exactly like that. I've had people in my life always say to me, you should journal, you should journal. And when I was going- Oh, no, you haven't, Shannon. We have not talked about that several times on this podcast. (laughs) There's no way that you should be journaling. So you've probably heard this too, that when I was going through my separation and divorce and people said that to me and my therapist too, and I finally was like, the next person who tells me to journal, I am literally going to take a journal and shove it down their throat. And then there's your daughter over here that walks around with like Bible looking journals. Yeah, pretty much like leather bound books that she writes entire sentences in. However, recently I've been participating in a religious trauma support group, which has been quite the experience that probably has brought on more writing and journaling than anything else. But when you said bullet journaling, I tend to do it more in a bullet format this point. And then this point, and I'm all over the page. I do not like lines on my pages. So I love that you mentioned that, Nicole, because I'm going to look into that a little bit more. Nicole, when you talk about bullet journaling and writing as an expression, I want to dabble in this for a second, because I'm curious, Mm -hmm. is it the storytelling for you that feels like an expression? Is it just getting to put it down and walk away from it? What need does that feel for you? I think it varies. Sometimes it's just connecting all the dots for me, especially having lost my dad and then being diagnosed so close together. There was a long period of time where everything was kind of fuzzy. I didn't really understand how one event led to the next always. So in that way, it's been really helpful for me just to go back and be like, okay, this is the timeline of things. And this is what happened in this order and kind of help myself remember that. I took a a personal essay class a couple months ago, and that was really helpful for me to like pick one particular story or moment 
And I had a certain concept of what I was going to write about, what that was going to look like going into it. But I feel like the process of writing it uncovered this message or these parallels that I didn't really see were there before. So, you know, for example, I was writing about a time where I had gone in for a breast ultrasound because something had shown up kind of outside of my neck on a PET CT scan before I had my second surgery. And I just had this extreme anxiety that I didn't really understand at the time about what was going to happen and all the what ifs of the outcomes of that appointment. And I thought that I was just kind of writing about that and the anxiety of it and what that felt like. But working through that kind of started to see the themes of going into the hospital on my own because it was still during COVID and, you know, living so far away from my mom and the ultrasound technician was playing songs that my mom would have liked. So still kind of like feeling her presence that way and just kind of the ways that we, you know, can still be there for each other, even if we're not physically there. So these other kinds of themes came out of that, that I didn't really put together until I wrote about it, if that makes sense. So revisiting these moments and seeing it like in a new light, I guess, and being able to draw new meaning from it has been really powerful for me. Yeah, taking that step out to get a perspective, whereas when you're going through it, it's like you're too close Mm -hmm. to be able to see it or give yourself credit for surviving it or even just acknowledge what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think having that little bit of distance can really help you see things in a, in a new way. Like you said, writing has been the best way for me to kind of go back to some of those pivotal moments in my journey in the last couple of years. Did the technician know those were songs that your mom would have played? <laughs> no, she just had like the radio on or whatever, which to this day is the only time I've ever had a technician have music on in a hospital mm-hmm. room. So it was just kind of a, Universe. a funny... Yeah, yeah, it totally felt like that. Like my mom's supposed to be here, you know, and she is still here supporting me in some way. So it was really powerful. Uh, Love that. I give you so much credit for continuing to live on the East Coast, coming from Colorado while living through all of this. Just out of curiosity, how have you managed to do that? Yeah, it's funny. I think it was maybe a year or so after I was diagnosed, I was back in Fort Collins having a beer with a friend. And she said something to that effect of like, did you ever consider moving back to Fort Collins? And that was honestly the first time it crossed my mind. Like, I, I don't have a reason for why I just never thought of it. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have moved back home. Like that would have been a lot easier. Actually, I had just moved to Boston two or three weeks before I went back for the surgery and ended up being diagnosed. I just wanted to be a normal 24 year old. I was committed to coming back here, finding that normal again, and like having the experience that I wanted when I first moved here. And I guess that's why I never really considered it. But I think finding community other ways, still staying close with my family through texting, Zoom, all the things that we have at our fingertips now, is something that really helped kind of close that gap. And in the beginning, I was still going back to Colorado a lot, maybe every month or every other month for doctor's appointments. So I was still getting that in-person support from them too. That definitely helped a lot. And at this point in your care, is your care team completely in Massachusetts? You're 100% there as far as your health goes. Yeah. Yeah. At this point I am all in one, one hospital. So it's really nice to have that finally, like all in one place. 
Oh yeah, that's huge. Everyone yeah. <laughs> can talk to each other. Notes can be shared. Emails can be sent. Like shit, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We take, like <laughs> you wouldn't think it would be that big of a deal, but it is such a pain. Yeah. It is. It's such a pain. Even just getting the surgery notes from my first surgery out here to Boston, it was like a full-time job. And I mean, this is something I could really go down the road on. So you guys tell me when to stop, but you know, I, I really don't think that that's a responsibility that needs to fall on the patient, especially when you're going through as much as, you know, a cancer diagnosis or anything that's going to be long-term like that. You're trying to process it yourself. And now you have this responsibility of like communicating between doctors in a language that you don't know. It was so much, it was so overwhelming for me to have to deal with all of that and get the right codes and, you know, doctor numbers and things like that. I didn't know how to do any of that. And I think that's really a failing on the medical system, to be honest, of putting that, that pressure and that responsibility on people who are already going through something and don't need to be worrying about that. Amen, girl. Well, your sister wants to join that system. (laughs) So make sure you have some conversations with her. I know. (laughs) We expect you to fix the entire medical system, Alexa. Please relieve all of our burdens. You talked about wanting to be a normal quote unquote 24 year old. You were diagnosed yeah. at a really young age. You were single. You had just moved to a new place, had expectations, I'm assuming of what life was going to look like. Friends, I'm guessing probably close to your age. So what did it look like with your friendships when you were diagnosed and now having to live with this? How did you try and figure out how to be a normal 24 year old. Yeah, it was, it was hard. I think in some ways I'm still figuring it out (laughs) how to be a normal 29 year old now, but it definitely was hard for me to grapple with in the beginning. And especially having lost my dad too, I don't really have any other friends who had lost their parents at that age or a parent at that age. So you know, kind of having those combined, I just felt like I was on such a different life path. Like I was worlds away from some of my friends that I went to college with. And a lot of them ended up getting, you know, engaged, married, kind of going through the same steps as each other around the same time as I was going through some of these vastly different things. So it definitely made me feel isolated in a lot of ways. And like, I couldn't relate to them the same way anymore which is part of the reason that I moved because I I felt like I'd lost so much connection with them that I was just ready for a different environment where I might meet other people who are more on the same page as me. And that kind of happened, you know, until I got diagnosed with cancer and that kind of changed things again. But it's a work in progress. It's one thing that's been really important for me going through different stages of treatment and the two surgeries and all these different steps talking with my therapist, you know, I really grabbed onto this idea that not everybody plays the same role as each other in your friendship circles and your healing and all of that. So before my second surgery, I really took the time to identify what each of my friends could best support me and explicitly asking for those things. That was, yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) It was a really hard lesson to learn. I mean, it took me years of just being like, why don't these people understand what I need? And my therapist was like, well, have you asked them? I was like, why would I do that? You know, they should just know (laughs) they should just know. But once I did, I mean, that that changed everything. I was like, okay, 
you're really good at being a listener. I'm going to call you on this day or whatever. Or I have a friend who works kind of adjacent to the medical world and being like, can you just study up on thyroid cancer and get some of these answers for yourself? So you're one less person I have to explain all this to. Mm. And, you know, just kind of assigning in my head roles that people could fulfill and asking them for things that like I knew they would be able to do well for me. That was really, really helpful in getting the support that I needed and making sure that I still felt close with all of those friends too. Wow, girl. Mic drop. I'm so impressed with you and also a little bit jealous because that is something that I have struggled with so much. And I feel like something that circulates around the chronic illness community is you find out who your true friends are. And for me, people have weeded themselves out more or less. And sometimes I wonder too how much of it was I didn't have the skill. I didn't have, I can't say skills. I didn't have the communication ability after the car accident to cognitively be able to communicate what I needed. And even just going through this migraine flare last fall, and I know this isn't about me, but I'm sorry, this is like how I'm relating to you at the moment. I have a friend in Arizona and I was actually just on the phone with him yesterday and He was like, I don't feel like you've leaned on me talking about my time in Arizona because I'm telling him, you know, I'm going back to Colorado. I feel like I need additional support. I'm trying to get back on my feet. And he's like, what have you asked me to do? And I'm like, Mm. well, I don't feel like I could ask you because you're still a new friend. It still was only five months into being in Arizona. And that sucks that I felt that way. And I didn't want to be a burden to other people especially new people in my life. And so I'm so happy for you. It makes me cry. I'm so happy for you that you were able to discover that that time around so that it didn't have to be lonely or uncomfortable or frustrating when it felt like you were alone. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to all of it though. I've definitely had it. I had to get through all that frustration and isolation too to be able to reach the place where I felt like I could ask for help. So I definitely understand that feeling too, Lex, of feeling like a burden and not wanting to ask for things. It was many, many years of feeling like that, probably three or four years of feeling like that before I started advocating for myself in my friendships of this is what I need. And that's, I don't want to say the good thing about having a second surgery, but that was something that I really learned from it. It was kind of like repeating a process. So I had the opportunity to do things a little bit better and ask friends for support in ways that I didn't the first time around in ways that I didn't, you know, when my dad died, or when I went through radioactive iodine, just all of those things, if I hadn't done all of that, I wouldn't have been able to ask for help in the way that I did for the second surgery. So all of those were much different experiences and learning experiences, I guess, but it's, it's hard. I remember you know, one of the first therapists I saw, I was like, my friends just don't get it. They don't know how to support me. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know how I need help, but I just know that I need it and I want them to just do it. And she had said something along the lines of, well, you'll be able to be there for them and teach them how to support people. So it kind of sucks to have that responsibility when you're going through something of like, well, at least I'm teaching my friends how to be supportive friends. But on the other side, or when it continues to be 
something that they need to be there and support you for, then I guess you start to see the payoff of that and being able to ask for what you need. But it's it's hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it besides it does suck for a long time. I'm grateful that you said you got to practice more than once because there have been other episodes that we've talked about life happening in revolutions, like a corkscrew. And every time you go back around that circle, like you're a little further along in your progression. And so I just get that image in my head as you talk about getting to go through it a second time. Yeah. So my next question for you is living with the anxieties that you've lived with. I know you mentioned last time getting on a medication because you had a pretty severe panic attack and that having made an improvement in your day-to-day life. But how have you found the ability, the will, the drive to keep pursuing life? Mm. (laughs) I know that's a big question. (laughs) I don't know how else to ask it. I understand what you're getting at though. I think you just do. I don't know. I, it was something my, my mom said when we were, you know, watching the progression of the disease with my dad. And she was like, people always ask how I keep doing this. And she's like, I never thought about any other option. And that's kind of how I feel about it too. I never, I don't know, considered doing anything differently, but it's, but it's still definitely been a struggle. Definitely had periods of depression or anxiety or fatigue, all of the different things that that come with difficult periods in our lives. But I think just grounding myself in the things that do bring me joy, that's kind of my big focus for this year so far. I made a bucket list, so to speak, of fun things that I want to do if I have the time more so than goals. And just kind of focusing on the fun stuff. You know, in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of time to live life in between appointments for me. And now that I have that space, it's kind of a double-edged sword because sometimes I get a lot of reassurance from appointments and I'm like, okay, a doctor just told me that things are okay, you know, two months ago or whatever. And now I see my endocrinologist twice a year. So it makes me a little anxious sometimes not to have that reassurance, but it's also gives me a lot more time to live my life and not think about it. And having that space in between appointments allows me to kind of almost forget about it sometimes and almost find that normal 29-year-old life that is outside of thyroid cancer. But at the same time, it's a both and. So doing all of those things and embracing what this journey is like, becoming part of thyroid cancer support communities online and becoming part of Thai Tabono as a board of directors member, all those things where I can give back to this community and talk to other people about what it's like. Embracing that part of my identity is also been really helpful for me to kind of see myself as a whole person who has thyroid cancer, but also does all these things outside of that. Girl, what else is on your list of fun? What else is? We talked about creativity, getting outside. Well, I mean I will... like your list for 2023, like what's on oh, your bucket list? On my bucket list. I mean, if you want to share. Oh yeah. I mean, I guess you don't have to. Well, let me pull out my bullet journal here because <laughs> that's where it is. I've got just like a lot of local places that I want to go around Boston, some local breweries that I haven't tried yet, some hikes I want to do, go to a Celtics game. Although those are really expensive now that they went to the playoffs last year. So we'll see. (laughs) That's one of those, dang it, I should have done that when I first moved here. (laughs) Well, I have before, but it's always fun to go again. So we'll (laughs) see if that one happens. I'm still putting my list in, you know, filling it all out. 
want to go to a college football game around here. There's this really cool festival in New Hampshire. They have all these lupin wildflowers that all bloom around the same time. That's something that I went to a couple of years ago, but I want to go back and just other ways of getting to explore around is really the main theme of my fun things for 2023. <laughs> I love that, especially because you've been living there and literally since you moved there, you've been sick. So yeah. it's like you don't really get to experience all that the location has to offer. I know I feel that about the last six months of living in Arizona. So hell yeah, girl. I hope <laughs> you get to do all of them. Sometimes I feel like people think, well, for me to do something, it means taking this big, massive trip, right? I need to leave the country. I need to be gone for a week or two weeks, a month. Yet how much in our own area, in our own space, things that we could do in a day or a long weekend, or heck, take some time off work and do it on a Wednesday and a Thursday when the whole world isn't there, that we have things right here. We all have that. So I love that, as Lex said, your list includes things that are right there to do. Yeah, I think that's a big attribution of the pandemic is, you know, kind of having to find that list of what can I do without getting on a plane or without having to stay in a hotel. So I've really started compiling a list since then of things that I can do nearby. And that's been really helpful, even when I was going through like the scans and all the stuff that led up to the decision to do the second surgery, I would just go drive along the coast in Massachusetts somewhere and find a lighthouse or find a beach to sit on just some way to feel like I was getting that little mini vacation just to like sit and think about everything that was going on and have even tiny little bit of an escape but it's still you know within an hour drive from my house so making it accessible I think and something that you can just do whenever whatever that looks like is has been really helpful for me. didn't even cross my mind but thinking about the timelines of everything you were in the meat of your experience during the pandemic so yeah. obviously that puts you in the high risk category how much greater was that experience for you I'm just having this realization right now while we're having this conversation so I'm spinning it out there if there, you have anything else to say about it like COVID was probably totally different for you than us healthy people it wasn't too different for me since I wasn't like actively receiving treatment. My immune system wasn't compromised or anything. So I'm lucky to have that experience. But I did get the vaccine early because I was headed into second surgery around the time that that was coming out. So I got approval from my doctor to get that a couple weeks, maybe a month before I would have otherwise, just so I could make sure that you know, that was going to settle in and there weren't going to be any side effects by the time that I got to surgery. It was like either I had to take it four to six weeks before the surgery or four to six weeks after. And if I was going to, you know, go and be in a hospital for at least a day, I definitely wanted to have it before. So that that was a huge relief. That was something I was worried about. And the other big factor, I guess, was that when I did have the second surgery, my mom did come and stay with me in Boston. But the hospital wasn't allowing any visitors. So that was tough to walk into the 
outpatient surgery by myself and know that no one was going to be there when I woke up. Luckily, I didn't have to stay the night. So I got to go sleep in my own bed that night and my mom was there. So I wasn't too dramatically affected, but definitely made it feel like a different experience probably than it would have if it happened a couple years earlier in my life, at least. Uh, when we were talking before, one of the things that we talked about you did after your second surgery, which you had never done before, was go camping by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Tell so, us a little more about that. Absolutely. That's a great example of these like little local slices of joy, I guess, that I've tried to add in. So at that point, I had had the surgery. I had just had my post-op appointment where they took all my blood work, but I was still waiting for the results. So it was kind of this really anxious period of waiting to find out how successful the surgery had been. And it was in like June. So it was beautiful weather. And I decided kind of on a whim to go drive up to New Hampshire and camp on my own for a night just to have something to do to pass that time while I was waiting for the blood work. Cause I knew I was going to be really overthinking it if I wasn't like distracting myself and it was just something fun to do. And I wanted to have a little bit of fun. I was recovered enough from surgery that I felt like it was something I could go out and do. So I was excited to do that. So I drove up there and I went camping on my own. It's definitely kind of pushing the boundary for me. I love being outside. I love hiking and camping and all those things. I had camped by myself maybe one or two times before then, but it's always still really nerve wracking to be out there on your own, especially if you're in a place where you don't have cell service and you're like, what if something happens? So I was dealing with that anxiety too. And even just hiking, are there enough other people on the trail that if something happened to me, I would be okay. And kind of having those thoughts run through, but I was really happy just to get outside and get to do that for myself. And only after the fact, I realized that I hadn't like taken the time to go camping in New England since I moved to Boston. I had gone once or twice when I was living in New Hampshire, but it wasn't something that I was actively avoiding since I had been diagnosed. I just hadn't made the time for it. So that was kind of a turning point for me to start prioritizing those things a little bit more than I had been making sure that I fit them into my schedule because they're things that I enjoy and I should be making time to do them. Yeah. Just because we're sick or struggling with health conditions, we should still get to do those things. Yeah. And it just gets taken away because we're thinking about the next appointment or the next treatment or the next therapy. Like mine's going to sound so silly, but a couple months ago, I told my mom that I was going to stop getting my nails done because I was worried about finances And she just looked at me on Zoom and she's like, that's the one thing you do for yourself right now. Please don't stop doing that. (laughs) And so I get it. You don't think you're eliminating those things on purpose. They just all of a sudden aren't on the schedule anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of don't realize what's missing until you do it again. And you're like, wow, I really have missed having that in my life. Have you done more solo camping trips since then? I haven't done another solo camping trip, but I've made it a point to get out and hike more. And I did do not exactly a camping trip, but I went with a friend up to the same area of New Hampshire and we stayed in a little B&B around this time last year. And it was super nice just kind of prioritizing those things. And that comes back to like the bucket list, right? Of making this list of, oh, I'd love to see the mountains in the snow, or I'd love to go back to that wildflower festival and just kind of making sure that I get the chance to do those again. 
Well, and getting to soak them up in a time when you're not feeling as in crisis is a totally different experience too. Yeah, that's so true. (laughs) Getting to experience it fully and in a different way is really important too. Yeah. Wisdom of the youth. I've learned a lot having this conversation with the two of you. I've cried way more than I was expecting, which was the reason I asked about the support group that you went to emotionally, how it felt for you. And also when you talked about not really identifying as a cancer survivor, I never would have put myself in the chronic illness category until literally my therapist was like, so Lex, we're dealing with something a little bit bigger here than just what we keep playing this off as. I was grateful for that. And then I was grateful for the research that my mom did to help find the Brain Injury Alliance. I started attending a support group and my experience with that, like the very first call that I went on, it was Zoom. I just bawled. I sat there and bawled, kind of like how recording this episode has gone with you. And I was not expecting it. It caught me super off guard, but this has been amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. And I'll just say, I think that's kind of some of the power that I've found in writing too. And just being able to put words to things is really powerful to being able to call myself a cancer survivor, being able to write down and identify the emotions that I've felt and just put a name to it. It feels really empowering in a lot of ways and kind of brings you back to yourself in a way that other things can't of just thinking, oh, this is what it felt like, but being able to write like, oh, I was afraid at this point, or I was anxious about this has been really powerful for me. It's amazing how language can do that and being able to sit in a room with other people and say, oh, I'm a cancer survivor like you guys is really powerful. Community in any sense has been the most important thing for me, but I think language and putting words to my experience has been close. It's been a close second for my healing journey. I know before we convinced you to come on the podcast, you're like, I haven't really done much speaking my experience and girl, you got it. That is all (laughs) I got to say. You have the language. You are amazing. And I'm, I feel super inspired on your advocacy. I'm still in my healing journey. So I don't know that I'm at the point yet that I can go advocate for someone else because I'm still figuring it out, but you're just a huge inspiration. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it is being able to get to that place where you can turn around and give that support to someone else. It's definitely not something you can do before you're ready. And it took me a long time to get there. But it's really just powerful to be able to give that to someone else after receiving it. You'll get there and (laughs) you don't have to do anything more than you're doing just to get through. That's already enough. Yeah, girl, surviving. (laughs) Surviving is enough. So many gems in our conversations with you. The friendship one is hard for me. The asking for help one is hard for me personally. Last fall, like I got to the point where I had to call mom and be like, I can't make these appointments. I cannot do this for myself. There's not anyone in my life that I would feel comfortable asking that to other than you. And I think about the people in my life and It's hard because I know they have their own life and like there's this line of if they wanted to show up, they would. And so that is something that I'm still sitting with because 
in my mind, I like to think that I show up and maybe they don't feel like I do. And that could be a conversation for a different day. But it's hard to ask for that when I want them to want to help. And so thinking if they would ask me, then yeah, that probably would make a big difference in my life. As you just heard Lexis say that, like, did anything come up for you? I felt that I've lived that. Absolutely. Resenting my friends or feeling negative things towards them for not reaching out and not saying something. There were points in my life where I was like, how is it not clear to them that I'm having a hard time? And are they ignoring that I'm having a hard time or are they choosing not to reach out? But I guess what I've learned, and I don't know that it always makes it better, but a lot of people just don't know how to deal with negative emotions. It's one of those things where people have said to me things like, oh, well, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to make you feel bad if you weren't thinking about it or something. But I think what people don't realize about going through something difficult, like chronic disease, you're always thinking about it. Like I didn't forget that I have thyroid cancer just because nobody asked me about it today, you know? So (laughs) I think for, (laughs) you know, for people who want to support friends in their life, I, I guess it kind of goes both ways for the people on the receiving end who are worrying that they're going to be a burden and the people who want to support people in their life. Like everybody wants the same thing. We just don't know how to communicate it to each other. And it sucks, but somebody's got to break the ice first. And once you do that from either side, it doesn't matter who breaks the ice first. If you truly are friends with someone, whichever side you're on, you should be able to break the ice. And it's a really, really hard step to take on either side, but it's so worth it. Nicole, I feel like you just laid the groundwork for visiting us again and having this conversation. It's a big conversation. And yeah, it's something that took me a really long time. So I've got a lot to say on it. Well, you ponder that because I do think it sounds like a big conversation. And I know we would absolutely love to have you back. We're not putting you on the spot or anything. That's why I'm saying ponder, ponder. Okay. We can put it in season four. (laughs) So good. Thank you, Nicole. This has been extremely therapeutic (laughs) good good yeah I I mean for me too I think it's it's so powerful to put words to these things and a lot of things where we do feel like a burden or like we shouldn't talk about these things I mean that's what Evolving Truths is here for right is to have these conversations I think it's so powerful and it's worth it every time God, I love you. On that note, <laughs> where have you been all my life? Oh, up the street. Just yeah, kidding. not not very far away. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with Nicole or check out her work, you can go to NicoleRuthPhoto.com. N-I-C-O-L-E-R-U-T-H-P-H-O-T-O.com. We'll make sure that link is in the show notes also or on Instagram at Nicole Ruth underscore creative co that's C O at the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Please give it a five-star rating, leave a review, follow the show wherever you are listening. If you took something away from this, if it reminded you of someone in your life, if you would like to open up a conversation with a friend that maybe needs support, please share this episode with them. Mom, anything else? Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week. And until then, please remember that life is beautiful and you create the magic. Have a good one. Connect with Shannon and Alexis and the Evolving Truths community by visiting evolvingtruthspodcast.com. Links are in the show notes. 
The artwork for this project was created by Julie B. Salazar and is entitled Celebration from the Inner Landscape Print Series. The Evolving Truths podcast is produced and edited by Shannon Day and Alexis Ray, recorded from the Corner Studio in conjunction with Alexis Ray Enterprises, LLC.